Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Celebrating 25 years as your host of the Garden Hotline. Here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Whoa, I've been here 25 years. I had no idea. Well, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Before Mr. Kelly gets out, uh, professional question here. No. If there's a news conference at 945, mm-hmm. what does that do? Does that truncate the garden hotline? It, it truncates it, yes. And so people <gasps> get your calls in now because you have 15 fewer minutes to get Mike's expertise Whoa. so don't wait call in now my show has never been truncated after 25 <laughs> years <laughs> i think you'll survive the listeners may not because they're going to miss out on some good information but we're going to hear about Col- paul goldsmith he is planting his roots in st louis really yeah see you get that you you're on the garden right. hotline and he's planting his roots in st louis very very oh, man you know you you're getting that free folks some people have to pay for that kind of <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> thanks welcome. for giving me the insight. <laughs> yes, folks, on Saturday morning, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard, what's going on in that side yard, and how about the front yard? Oh, you're a little bit sad when you come home because you cannot be proud of your front yard. Your welcome home is not all that good. And that specialty garden space, hmm. How do you improve that soil? How about a taste of the tropics? I've gotten my kaffir lilies, which are tropical or houseplants, out already. And what is potting mix? How do you improve your soil? Shearing, pruning, removing bugs, diseases, using information to make good decisions. My thoughts and orchestrations hopefully will open or solidify your options with final judgment, of course, by you. This is your show, by the way, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me over into your home, your car, or wherever you're listening. And another very important player in this game is Alex. He's producing today. So I'm Mike Miller. has been hosting the Garden Hotline for 25 years. No way. That can't be. And anyway, I started in 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are available at various locations right now. And then right now, I also write... Um, Articles from Missouri Gardener Magazine. During the week and sometimes on the weekends, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. My website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, that's where you can go to the homepage. 
And you'll find my email address and phone number there. That's where I can be reached. So today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. First weekend of spring. Thank goodness. That means winter is in the rearview mirror. Traditional tour de jardin around my jardin. That's, I think, French for garden. Three sugar maples, which are the street trees. They're in flower. The squirrels have really done a good job eating a lot of the seeds or helicopters that have been hanging on there. But there are thousands that have fallen uneaten, and soon they will be germinating. (sighs) The zoysia. Uh, it's getting ready to be cut low. I'm going to do that. Uh, may, I don't know if I can get around to it today, but within the next week or so, I'm going to cut it down to about a little bit more than an inch. And uh, starting in the alley bed, boxwood. That's the only. I've got three boxwood on my property. And the one along the alley, which faces east and backs up to the garage wall, that's the only one that's foliage got some winter burn on it. And I'll prune that soon. But in this bed also, the lemon verbena. The fragrance is great already, and it's really pushing upward. The sedum acre, which is a ground cover, is moving horizontal. Purple cone flowers, hmm, nothing yet at all. I've got numerous pots with tulips, and they're really pushing up and out. No flowers yet, just foliage. And the tulips work I got from Brightside St. Louis. And also, they're showing that, I mean, really good foliage. It's nice color. As I said before, my kaffir lilies, my houseplants, I've taken them outside. I've also planted cannas and elephant ears in pots. Yellow and purple crocus are in bloom in the, near the front steps. And uh, some daffodils, too. They're pushing up some foliage. They're getting kind of old, so I'm not sure they're going to flower this year. Daffodils anymore, they last, give you flowering, hmm, Sometimes uh, maybe eight years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, so it's just a wait and see kind of thing. So along this south wall, my daffodils are just foliage right now. But all my daffodils are on the north side of my house. Now there's a house across the street and up the street just a little bit. They've got daffodils planted on the side of their house, but that side faces the south. They're in full bloom already. So that shows you. What a difference exposure can make. So that's uh, one of those things. Window boxes, I've got all kinds of pansies, different colors in those things. And my window boxes with the herbs, the sage and thyme look good. The rosemary did not make it like usual. The other two boxwood, no winter burn, no anything at all. Mugo pine or Leland cypress, no problems at all either. And uh, everything's in good shape. As far as winter damage goes, overall, the landscape welcomes spring, as well as the robins, the doves, the cardinals, and all the other birds in the neighborhood. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Party on! That's what the Garden Hotline's all about, and we're going to start off in Dardeen Prairie, and that's where Jane lives. Hi, Jane. Hello. Hi. Oh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I put in 500 um, flower bulbs last November, and I've got the first ones up. And I was just thinking this morning, I've never really learned how to properly fertilize bulbs, so I'd like for you to enlighten me. <laughs> well, basically, 
I like fertilizers that are powder. You mix them in water and you pour them. You can use a liquid fertilizer. You can do pretty much anything that you want. Uh, but basically, as soon as the foliage starts breaking the surface, you should fertilize them then. Then fertilize them until they finish, you know, once a month until they finish flowering. And then once they've finished flowering, no more fertilizer. Okay. Well, I, I, they need fertilizer then. I, <laughs> you've taught me something new. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Good luck with that. And, Thank uh, you. A lot of times it really will make a difference. It won't necessarily give longevity to the bulbs, so it won't make them so, okay, if I fertilize them, they're going to last 10 years as opposed to two years because tulips are only going to last for a couple years. As I said before, daffodils about eight years or so, and it's due to the hybridizing of various bulbs and everything else over the years because you can go into older neighborhoods and see some bulbs that are by houses that have been abandoned for decades and the bulbs are still coming up and doing well. So it just shows you that, you know, we've kind of manipulated certain things. So from Dardine, we're going to Florissant, pretty close by, and into Scotchyard. Hi, Scott. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Hey, I have a, I had a really nice zoysia backyard several years ago, and we got a dog a couple years ago, and she's kind of taking her toll on it right and there's several places that crabgrass took over last year and i went out the other day was doing some thatching and a lot of those spots are bare now would you recommend overseeding or seeding those spots with some other kind of grass to get it covered right now or what, well you could you... you could certainly do that or you could buy pieces of zoysia sod if you put other grass seed in there it's going to you know kind of the, you know, let's say you put a cool season type grass seed, like a fescue or a bluegrass, it's going to look great while the weather's cool, but when it gets hot, then it's going to just turn basically kind of icky looking. So that would be the sure. time when the rest of the zoysia looks good. So that's kind of the, the downside of kind of mixing things up like that. So it's a personal choice. And okay. um, if you want to get, you know, I don't think the zoysia is available at garden centers yet, whether you wanted sod or plugs. But uh, I would my tendency would be to kind of stay with what you have, but uh, that's the choice is yours, obviously. Okay, I put some some patches of zoysia sod in last year in some of the bad spots, and I, I assume it would not be green yet, or correct? Correct. So I'm it's not going to know whether it took or not until <laughs> well, <laughs> until it warms up. Well, also anybody that's going to lay sod or plugs, make sure you turn the soil over first. Okay. And if you mixed in some compost, that would be ideal. But okay. just to just to sort of even just rake it and lay the sod down on top of it, regardless of the type of sod, that's going to be a little bit difficult for it to acclimate. Gotcha. Thanks for your help. I appreciate it. Certainly. Well, thanks for calling. And now let's go to Marge, and she lives in Breeze, Illinois. Hi, Marge. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and advice for all of us. <laughs> Yeah. I have a question about pre-emergent. I've heard you say several times that we should apply this to control weed seeds. Correct. I went to several stores to buy some of this, and I couldn't find any product that said pre-emergent. They all said, like, fertilizer with weed killer, crabgrass killer. Is there a difference between pre-emergent and these weed killers? Uh, it certainly could be. It could be a broadleaf weed killer, and it could mean that it's going to kill broadleaf weeds that are perennial weeds that are coming up, not from seed. But anything that says preventer, 
that's going to be a pre-emergent. I just sort of unifo- you know, put it all together as calling it a, a pre-emergent. So in other words, you put it down before the seed emerges, and then as the right. seed emerges, it, this chemical barrier that it creates, it kills the seed just as it's coming up. Right, right. So if I bought a product that said crabgrass Preventer. killer— or killer or whatever. Killer. Would that be okay to use that? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't just kill crabgrass seeds. It's just everybody okay. has certain things that are, you know, have been embedded in their mind their whole life. And crabgrass okay. happens to be one of the weeds. I mean, how many people okay. really know about henbit or some of these other things? So it's just, that's just the way the chemical companies make the presentation to make it so it's a little bit more amenable you know, to the consumer. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for clearing that up for sure. me. Good luck. Okay. Have a good day. Certainly. Bye. <laughs> and where should we go? Okay. Let's go to John in Chesterfield. Okay. Oh, let's go to Reed in Bethalto then. Sorry. Hello. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, Mike, I got a... Uh, small lake in my backyard, and we had a fever problem a few years ago, and I put corrugated uh, pipe around the trunks of the smaller trees that I thought the beavers might cut down, Mm -hmm. and we haven't had any beavers for a while, so I was wanting to take those uh, corrugated pipes off of the trunk. Do I have to worry about those trees getting sunburned on the bark part of their uh, yes, yeah, especially any, you know, the side of the trunk that's facing the south. That's where the most intense sun's coming. So it's been so well shaded. So what you might do is just get some tree wrap, wrap it around and do that. And then, you know, after, let's say, the intense part of the, you know, say the sun happens, uh, take that off. So take it off in the fall as a day, you know, basically, or you can leave this on there until fall and take it off in the fall. Okay. That tree wrap, is that something you can get at a, a, a horticultural shop? Or yeah, something? a garden center or anything like that. It's just, it's more or less kind of a, I don't want to say elastic, but it's like a, a fla- it's like paper, kind of okay. paper tape. You just wrap it around. Gotcha. Okay, thank you very much, yeah. Mike. And another thing, I mean, what you could do is if you don't want to fool with this, is just the side facing south of your trunks, once you pull the corrugated pipe off, just paint the trunks white. And that oh. would eliminate the, it should eliminate the problem of, you know, potentially getting sunburn. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go to Chesterfield and to John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi. Hey, I got a question about uh, climbing roses, but first a little background. I've got Grapevines in my backyard that I trained to grow along the top of a privacy fence so that they get sun all day. Mm-hmm. And in wintertime, you know, they get pruned just like any other grapevine, and the main branches stay just fine. I'm thinking about doing something similar with climbing rose bushes on a picket fence in my front yard. Well, if I train the climbing rose to go on along the top of the picket fence, will there be a dieback during the winter all the way back down to the ground, or how does that work with those? Uh, ba- climbing roses are pretty tough. They're really, as far as pruning goes, once we come out of wintertime, which is basically now, you just kind of give them a little bit of pruning. But for the most part, they don't need pruning at all. What you do with the climbing roses is cut off any kind of, let's say, stems or whatever that don't produce any foliage. But really, they need to be left alone more so than anything else. 
And then so fed, fed with rose food starting, let's say, in late April, monthly all the way up through September. So do they die back over the winter? Like uh, when you, I have the um, hybrid tea roses, wintertime, I cut the canes back down to like a foot or so above the ground. Do yeah, you do the same thing with climbers? No, the climbing roses you leave alone. You don't okay. do any pruning at all. Do they bloom all season? Are there some of them do or not? There's a few of them that do, but for the if you're not careful, on make sure you research the particular variety because some of them will bloom just once, and then that's it. Then they'll just be foliage. So, yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you which ones. You could go to uh, St. Louis Rose Society and ask them, or you can go online or go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and see which ones they recommend for, let's say, repeat bloomers. Uh-huh. Oh, that lady that called a while ago, or a couple of calls ago, about the pre-emerge. Mm-hmm. I got, I have the same problem. I was looking for just a straight pre-emerge, and I found a garden, a lawn and garden center that carried just the bulk granular pre-emerge all by itself. But I had a, it was a big yard at Lake of the Ozarks. But maybe if, isn't it preen, just a pre-emerge, straight pre-emerge? Preen is basically developed for bed space, not for lawns. Oh, I don't remember if she asked about a lawn or not. But. Yeah, I mean, if I don't know what you know what the actual chemically the difference is, but that's you know sort of the preen focus is you know places where you have shrubs, trees, you know perennials, all that other kind of stuff, as opposed uh-huh. to a lawn area. I think because the the way they sell it, it's not huge amounts. So most people's yards are kind of big. So you'd have to end up buying a huge amount or a huge. <laughs> right, yeah. I, did, I don't remember if she asked about a lawn or not. But yeah. I had a big lawn, so I got 50-pound bags of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> not praying, the, the, right. the straight pre-emerge stuff. Right. So it's just okay. a matter of where you go, where you shop, and, you know, the products they carry on, how they label them. But pretty much chemically, they're the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. And let's see if we can get one more call in before break. And that would be Rick in South County. Hi, Rick. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. Um, I have had a lawn service for several years, and I've got some more time on my hands now. I wanted to handle my lawn on my own and just treat it throughout the year. I know you've been talking a lot about lawns this morning. Could you just give me some general tips? I know pre-emergent about this time of year. But can you just kind of give me some general tips throughout the year of what I should be applying to my lawn? It's Bermuda grass mainly with some bluegrass. Bermuda with bluegrass. Well, that's kind of contrasting things. But the Bermuda yeah, well, is, a, but the Bermuda is a warm season grass, so it's Bermuda, not Zoiza, huh? Yeah, as a matter of fact, our uh, subdivision was built on a former golf course ah, and the Bermuda grass just came up. So right. they sodded it with bluegrass So uh, originally. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make well anyway it's a warm season grass so you've you know it's as soon as it starts showing some active growth then you start fertilizing with a lawn fertilizer i'd get a soil test done so you can find out exactly what's in your soil as far as chemically because if there's too much phosphorus and too much potassium in your soil already you got to be really careful about putting additional phosphorus and p- potassium which are the last two numbers you know, in the bag of fertilizer with the big three numbers on the, you know, in the front. And so consequently, get the soil test done, find out what chemically there is. And then with the warm season grasses, you start fertilizing late April, late May, late June, late July, late August, and once in September. And that's pretty much it. 
And with the dethatching, core aerating, you know, and you know, putting compost down after the core aeration, that would be done in the springtime just as the grass is starting to green up. Perfect. Thank you so much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have no callers right now, so if you call, you will be the first one up. This time of year, when I keep talking about putting the pre-emergent down, the uh, gentleman emailed me during the week, and he said, we don't have any yellow forsythia in our neighborhood, so I don't know exactly when to put the pre-emergent down. So I told him to buy a soil thermometer. You want to put the pre-emergent down when the soil temperature is between 50 and 55. Now, there may be a few seeds certain at locations like, you know, let's say south exposure where it's reflective heat off the side of your house or something like that, that some of the seeds may have germinated. You may miss those. But for the most part, that's what you want to do. So no yellow forsythia. I always use that as sort of like... The big sweep as far as without getting a soil thermometer, but the soil thermometer is the best way to do it because you can use it in several different locations. You can check out your south side yard and, oh, this is already there, but on the north side, it's not there yet. That doesn't mean you're going to wait and not put it down all the way around, but that's certainly a possibility. So by putting a pre-emergent... And crabgrass preventer, whatever you want to call them, again, I just generalize with calling it pre, pre-germination, emergent. You're going to get rid of spurge. You're going to get rid of ragweed. You're going to get rid of purslane. You're going to get rid of lamb's quarter. You're going to get rid of carpet weed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, foxtail, some of the violets, and plantain. And what that is is what these... Some of them, they just drop the seeds. The seeds just lay there, you know, all winter long until the weather starts warming up, the soil starts warming up, and then consequently, here it comes. So that's what the pre-emergent does. So weeds are optimistic. They germinate when, and especially if you have a thin lawn or if you cut your lawn too closely, consistently. There could be a million weed seeds, but that doesn't mean all every million of them is going to germinate. Some of them are eaten by insects. Some of them are sort of like decomposed by microorganisms as well. But the germination can just be totally insane. And if you skip it, what will happen is those seeds are going to germinate. They're going to grow. They're going to flower. Then they're going to be dropping seeds all summer long. And they're going to keep dropping seeds, producing flowers, until the weather starts cooling, and then that's where the real trouble comes in. Let me go and uh, remind you, soil testing. Stop fooling around. Stop guessing. It's just like you're not feeling great yourself. You don't just sort of like guess and figure out what you think might work. And with your soil, is the same thing. Soil is, yes, it's dirt, but it's also soil. It has a lot of living microorganisms in it. Those microorganisms are extremely important for a good, healthy plant growth. Whether it's lawn, whether it's trees, whether it's shrubs, whether it's perennials, whether it's annuals, it doesn't really matter. That's where the real trouble comes in. And a soil test will tell you that, oh, your soil pH is really high. So if the soil pH is really high, then you want to change it so it goes a little bit lower. Or your soil pH is really acidic. 
So then you're going to have to add some lime to it. But just don't routinely add lime to the situation because it's not really going to work well for you. So just keep all that in mind. Uh, let's go to the phones, and let's go to Pat in St. Peter's. Hi, Pat. Hey, how you doing? Good. Thanks. Um, have a question. Uh, we want to uh, uh, kill our lawn for weeds or spray for weeds or whatever, and then uh, uh, plant grass seed. Is it too early to put the weed killers down now, and how long do I need to wait before I could uh, put the grass seed down and overseed? Well, if you're using a, like a broadleaf weed killer or a spray, a liquid, so it's not a pre-emergent, you should probably wait, read the label, and this is with any kind of chemical, you should always read the label first. But usually the recommendation is if you spray something like that, it's about two weeks or so before you should put seed down. Now, it may, you know, the seed may be okay sooner than that, but two weeks is just, a, again, a general term that I like to, you know, just remind people that you, there is a waiting period, even though in theory this is a broadleaf weed killer and grass is not a broadleaf plant, that, you know, you, there's going to be some, let's say, hangover aspect of the chemical of the herbicide. So that's what you need to do. Read the label right. specifically for the product that you're going to get or you're buying and then go from there. Yeah, it was one of the major uh, brands. Um, I read that, and it said four weeks uh, before you plant any seed. Is it too early to uh, spray for the uh, weeds right now? Well, if this is generally, a, let's say, a weed-be-gone type sprayer, if you don't see the weeds actually act, you know, you don't visually see them, it's contact work. So, in other words, they kill the weeds when, they, when the herbicide comes in contact with the foliage of the plant. So if there's no foliage there that's visible, then it's not going to do anything. Yeah, some of them are already uh, sprouting. I could tell them, so okay. they would kill them. Right. And then the other stuff, you know, I'd have to possibly wait uh, after I plant my grass seed, then, I guess. Exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, after, thank you, after your grass seed, not just planted, after it's healthy and robust and everything else. So you may have to wait until, let's say, deep into the summertime before you put any kind of, let's say, weed killer down. Yeah, most of them that I read uh, said that you're not supposed to do it uh, over 85 degrees. Right. If it reaches 85 degrees during the summer, yes. uh, which pretty much uh, eliminates uh, spring for weeds in the summer of St. Louis. <laughs> right. It certainly does. So, so okay, you'd be going after them the in time. the fall. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thanks, Mike. Sure. And now let's go to Troy and Florence. How are you? I'm fine, Mike. How are you? Good. Uh, Mike, I had daffodils that came up last year. It was the first year for their blooming, and they were nice big uh, blossoms. However, this year they have not come up at all and the flower bed is on the south side of the house. And the bulbs that I planted were unusually large. I Has anybody had any experience with bulbs that have been modified genetically? Well, sh sure, but, I mean, when let's say last year when they bloomed, now, did you leave the foliage on them until, they to the, until the leaves of the daffodil totally turned brown? or at least got yeah. halfway yellow-brown, then I think yeah. it's just a matter of timing more so than anything else. The soil temperature is just not right to trigger the growth because they should be healthy. They should be fine. Okay, thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to Winsville. And, Bart, how are you? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, a couple quick 
questions. Uh, is it too early to plant dahlias? Uh, not for me, but <laughs> I mean, okay. there's, there's always well, that. There's always that thing where we might have a late frost or something like that just as they germinate. But I think you should be fine. Oh, I've already got some garden in. Uh, uh, Does fertilizing Russian sage help any? Oh, sure. Anything, any perennial or anything, it helps. There's no getting around it. Okay. I have uh, uh, a sack of 1313. I know how you feel about fertilizer. Uh, but since it was left over from last year, and turf builder, so I can spread these on the lawn. Yeah, well, are you talking about your lawn being a cool season lawn, not zoysia, right? No, no, it's... Bluegrass or fescue or something? Yes, yeah, yes, I mean, but I've cool got a season, lot of... You can put the cool season, you can fertilize that. I mean, just one application in the springtime for your cool season lawns. Okay, and if you take... Uh, uh, soil samples. How big an area is that cover? I've got beds over two acres. Uh, do I have to take it in all different areas? Yeah, you should. Just to find, assuming that it, you know they're all exposure soil and everything else, just to find okay. out you know what's going on in all the bed space bases bed spaces kind of routinely. Okay. Okay. Got gotcha. you. Thank right. you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Hi, we've had so many clouds, but man, the full moon the last couple nights, well, it's only full for one night, but early in the morning when I take my walks, it is so nice to see that. Ooh, I love the moon. Uh, Let's go to South City. Into Bob's yard. Yeah, Mike, yes. in your opinion, with the way the weather is this year, when would you put out banana trees, put them <laughs> back out in the ground? Well, I've moved mine. You know, I have kaffir lilies, which are not banana trees by any means, but they're tropicals, and I've already moved my stuff outside. So I just figure I'm going to take a chance. And uh, But normally you'd want to wait at least until probably mid-April. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Right, but uh, if you want to be wild and crazy, you can move them out because you can start that, you know, if everything turns out to be okay, you'll see the growth just come rocketing out of the ground. Okay, thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's go to Debbie, and she lives in Edwardsville. Hi, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Um, we have a question about our lawn, as many of you people have this morning. Um, our pH in our lawn is, is high, and we've been told to put sulfur on it to lower the pH. What kind of product do you buy? It's, um, I know I have some elemental sulfur here that I put on my potatoes before I put them out, but that would be awful expensive to put that down. <laughs> so what do you recommend, and can you name a product? A uh, specific product, no, but just look for iron sulfate. Iron sulfate? Yep. The garden centers, all garden centers should have that. You want the iron there, too, because once the sulfur starts getting the pH down, then the iron is going to be, you know, when the the pH is high, let's put it this way, the the plants can't absorb the iron. So iron sulfate takes care of two two scenarios. Okay, so there's just, that's all you need to buy is iron sulfate. Right. All right, that sounds good. Thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's go to Dennis. Dennis, how are you? 
Hello, Dennis. Are you there? Oh, oh let's go to uh, Joni in Alton. Mike? Yes. Hi, I've been a 25-year listener, and I've loved every minute of it, and I think you're very awesome. So thank you for your show. I have a couple of questions about mimosa trees. Okay. So I've seen the big, beautiful ones that have, like, multiple trunks, and then I've got three, about three-year-old ones in my yard that seem to be growing like a single trunk. Right. So is there one way preferred over the other to keep them healthy? In reality, no. It's just, you know, sometimes what it is is they're not really multiple trunks. They probably, wherever, you know, whatever production nursery, they probably put three plants, three mimosas, fairly close together so they almost grow like a single single tree. But they're probably three trees together would be my guess. Or you okay, could well, t- you could take a you know, you could take a chance you know try to prune it down and see if you can get some new trunks coming up prune it down low but uh, it's really up to you. Okay, because two of mine are volunteers. Ah, so yeah, so the third one that's a chocolate mimosa is really? that from a graft? Uh, is did you buy this? This is not a volunteer, correct? No, I bought that one. Yeah, so that one is probably it was probably some hybrid. So, or either that or some natural hybrid that uh, somebody found and then started taking cuttings of it. Okay, because last year it had a branch coming off of it that the leaves were green instead of, you know, the dark. Right. And so I just chopped it off. So. <laughs> you All killed right. the branch? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. It gave me heartburn, but <laughs> it, was, it wasn't the chocolate. So. All <laughs> right. right. Thank you so much. I love your show so much. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Let's go from Alton to Baldwin and John. Morning, Mike. How you doing? Good. 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 Mike, how much soil do you need for a soil test? Uh, Basically, probably like a a good size Ziploc bag full. Oh, that much? Okay. Yeah. I mean, they got to have a lot because they do several tests on it. And once they do a certain test on part of it, they can't reuse that part again. So, you know, like uh, from various locations, something maybe not quite as big as, let's say, a scoop of ice cream. But make sure you don't get any, let's say, root systems, any of that other stuff in it. You want pure soil. Okay. And as far as this uh, weed killer, it's going to rain tonight and tomorrow. Lay it out today or wait? Uh, no, you can put it out because Great. it's probably depending upon the type. Some of them you're supposed to water in anyway. Right, that's what I figured. Right. Okay, thank you. Have a good have a good day. Right. And now let's head to uh, Milstad. Amesley, how are you? Good. How are you today? Great. I've got a, a, a several pear trees on the on the family farm. Uh, two of them being uh, over a hundred years old. Woo. Yeah, they're family heirloom trees. Uh, what would be the best way to propagate these trees to try to get a couple more? Uh, I, I I tried air rooting last fall, but realized that the fall is not the best time to air root. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Could could you take cuttings from these? Could you could you air root them? Would would you graph them? How would you go about this? Probably, I would take cuttings and get you know the mix. Go to the University of Illinois Extension Service, or you can go to the botanical garden. See about taking cuttings and do it that way, as opposed to anything else. You're going to need rooting hormone. You're going to probably need a pretty good uh, potting mix. 
You're going to need the pots. Don't you know? Don't just don't just stick them into the ground or anything. So grow them in pots for several years. And what right. you're going to do with the pots? You know, after you take the cutting, dip it in the rooting hormone and everything else, and put it down into the pot. Then drop, dig a hole and drop the pot into a hole with a top inch or so above the surrounding ground. Okay. Have you have you heard of air rooting a pear tree? Does it does it? I maybe want to try one branch also. Yeah, I mean, you could well, that- certainly do that. It's just the, the process of air rooting is just a you know. A, it's a little bit weird, you know, to me. We used to do a lot of air rooting when I was at the botanical garden, but we were doing it in the Climatron. Uh, with the hardy plant material, I'm not exactly sure how well it's going to work. Sure. I tried a, a brumanja actually last year, air rooting a branch, and it worked really good, but right. those things root very easily. Right. Uh, uh, but with a pear tree, I, I, I'm going to experiment a little bit. Obviously, we've got quite a, quite a bit of tree to play with this year. <laughs> Um, but uh, uh, if I have any success, I'll definitely inform you and let, and let you know how it goes. I appreciate well, it. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. Air rooting, for people that don't quite understand what this is, you scrape part of the bark off. You wrap you know, the area that you've scraped. You tape, it, tape around it. And what you want to do is have that part of the, the branch actually push roots out into this Probably sphagnum peat moss is what you're going to you know put around the actual area that you've scraped the bark, and then once it starts rooting into that, then you allow enough roots that you think there's enough roots there that you can just cut the whole branch off just below where the air rooting roots are, and then put that air root into a pot. So to me, it's just kind of doing the same thing, uh, you know. And maybe it is a little bit quicker. I don't know. I've never really had that much success with air rooting myself. I've played around with a couple different plants, mainly messing around with a couple different Japanese maples. So I've not done fruit trees, but maybe it will work very well. So look forward to hearing and finding out if that actually is going to work for you. We do have another hour of the Garden Highline. Well, maybe not a full hour because the Cardinals got a press conference coming up at 945. So... Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you do have any questions, get online, 314, not online, on the phone line, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Celebrating 25 years as your host of the Garden Hotline. Here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour, and I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. By the way, thanks for having me on your show where we can discuss plant selection, the ups and downs, annuals. Man, the pansies are looking great. All I've seen them in several different locations your spring bulbs, as I said in the first hour during the Good Gardening Stroll, house up the street for me, south-facing wall, their daffodils are in bloom. Mine are just showing some foliage. How about your edibles, your cool season vegetables, your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens? I'd like to share my thoughts, but remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you as maybe 
to an angle that you haven't thought about. Alex is producing today, and he's really juggling a lot of things with the press conference coming up at uh, 945. During the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. I come to you, discuss whatever's going on in your yard, and answer the problems that you might have. It's called a walk and talk. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number are listed. Tip of the trowel is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trowel goes out to the Missouri Botanical Garden. Next weekend, seasonal reopenings. After they we've entered spring, the garden will reopen the children's garden, Tower Grove House, and Cafe Flora. The educational staff will offer regular programming, including nature observations and discoveries in the children's garden, hands-on exploration activities at the Brookings Exploration Center as well, and story time at the Tower Grove House. So the Botanical Garden's opening up all kinds of things. Then on April 5th and 6th, Arbor Day, tree giveaway. So what they're going to have is small saplings of trees and uh, head down to the Botanical Garden. So there's all kinds of stuff coming up. And as well, on April 5th, the beauty of spring and the season of the Chinese, or the, the Japanese cherries. So the Japanese garden specialists will be on hand to guide you. And there'll be some sake samplings as well. So all kinds of stuff going on in the Botanical Garden. Just give you a little bit of insight. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go to Chesterfield into Charlie's yard. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks for my call. Sure. Uh, quick question. I have uh, three butterfly bushes uh, that are about uh, three to four feet high. And should I cut them back uh, now, and uh, how much should I cut them back? You don't need to cut them back. There's no reason to. But if you are going to do any pruning, do it before any kind of foliage um, starts emerging. Okay. Uh, if I don't cut them back, will they just continue to get bigger and bigger? Well, depending upon variety. Some of them are going to be relatively small. Some of them will continue to get bigger and bigger. But at three feet, I would. my tendency would be they don't sound like they're that old unless they've been in the ground for a long time. And if they're, that's as big as they're getting, then they're probably a dwarf variety. If they've been in the ground just a few years, that size, I would just let them go for at least a little bit longer. Okay. Do, do they uh, creep because... I had a butterfly bush about four feet from where they are, and it died out, and these just came up. Generally, they don't do that. I mean, I guess they could drop some seeds, but that's not something that, you know, a butterfly bush is known to, like, self-seed itself. Okay, so I'll I'll let them grow this this year. If I decide to cut them back next year, how much should I cut them back? Probably only one-third at the most. But, yeah, they don't send out uh, underground rhizomes and pop up at other places like some shrubbery does. That's not something the butterfly bush does. They're a clump grower. They kind of stay within themselves. So how these other ones came about, I think somebody probably snuck into your yard and planted them in the middle of the night while you were asleep. Wow, wow, mystery. All right. Exactly. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate your, your uh, uh, program. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Let's jump the river and go to Belleville. Joanne. Joanne, you uh, there? Yes, good morning. Okay. Go uh, Mike, I have uh, boxwoods, which I did not do anything with in the fall. Uh, my burning bush, I did trim them back. 
So is now a good time to uh, prune both of those at this, you know, or should I wait? Uh, why prune your burning bush if you prune them in the fall? Why do you want to prune them again? Well, I didn't get them as low as I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> I was what? dealing with just sticks. <laughs> Well, just watch out. You know, you prune them back. You know, I don't know how big they are, but I never like to cut more than like one third off deciduous shrubs. Now, with your boxwood, how big are they? How tall are they? Oh, they're about three, four feet. And I just want to shape them primarily before the new growth. Exactly. Is, is that so, doable? Yeah, get that done as soon as possible. Okay. All right, Mike. Thank you. I enjoy the show. Have a good day. Well, thank you. Uh, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. To the phones we go. We're headed South County. And, Kathy, how are you? Good morning, Mike. This is Kathy. Hi. Um, Congratulations on your 25 years. Well, thank you. Um, I'm wondering if it is too early to plant uh, pansies in the ground and uh, how long will they last uh, before they need to be replaced during the summer? Uh, basically, the pansies can go in now. They can go in pots in the ground. This is their season. They want it when it's cool. What's going to happen is they're just going to when the weather starts getting hot. They'll start okay. elongating. They'll stop flowering. And then you can just you know yank them out and put some summer annuals in. Okay. So they can go in the ground. They don't have to go in pots? No, no, not at all. In the ground is okay. fine. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. Let's go to O'Fallon and see what's going on with Ken. Yeah, Mike. Yes. Uh, I've got a about a 15-foot tall evergreen that uh, when we had that uh, windstorm, I guess, uh, it's been kind of pushed over. <laughs> it, has, it didn't fall, and the roots aren't, aren't showing. But uh, is there any way I could pull it back into straightening it up? <laughs> Something that large, you're going to have a hard time doing it, to be honest with you. You could try to do it, get the stakes in the ground. You're going to probably do a, a two-prong two thing, stakes in the ground, run the wire up and around, then start. You know, have somebody you know, continue to push it until it gets to the point that you, know, you got it you know, as right as you can. But uh -huh. just make sure that the wire that's going to go onto the, that's going to touch the tree trunk, you put a piece of hose there. So, in other words, that will keep it from the wire from, from digging, digging into in. it. Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. You got to do that. If you don't do that, you're basically going to behead the thing. Yeah, yeah. So, but it, it is possible that I can pull it back up to uh, more of a straight position. Yeah, but it is going to be a physical effort that's beyond control. And even though you don't see any roots, let's say, on the surface, there has to be some major root damage. That, you know, the feeder roots and other things like that have been torn off or yeah. torn apart. So for the thing to re readjust itself and reacclimate, it's going to be a, a, quite a process. Okay. Well, I I just I mean I've had it since it was <laughs> a yearling. Oh my! And uh, it, it's a beautiful tree. I I decorate it for Christmas and that. Right. And right now it's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, like I said, uh, uh, the ground um, is kind of cracked open. But I don't see any. You know, it's not that far where I see any roots or anything. It's okay. just that the ground is kind of pulled apart. Before you start trying to, you know, let's say get it straightened up, make sure you water 
heavily so you can get the ground as soft as possible. So that may minimize some of the root damage that would happen. Ah, good idea. Okay, great, great. Love the show. Thank you. Well, thank you. And let's go back to South City. Richard. Hello, Richard. Yeah. Hi, Mike. Hi. Good morning. Hey, uh, I got some dahlias, and uh, I don't know how deep to plant them, and I don't know if you got to take them up every year like tulips. Well, you don't have to take up tulips, but dahlias are not hardy. So some people have had good luck with leaving them in the ground in areas like in the city where they've been planted close to, let's say, houses or something. So there was some protection from that standpoint. But for the most part, those tubers are not, you know, basically hardy you know, plant material. So if we have a severe winter, they could die if you left them in the ground. Now, do you know, have you grown them in the past? I guess I, uh, a friend of mine gave me a few uh Last year, this okay. is my first year. I took them out, and uh, you know, you know, I mean, I got to plant them. I don't know how deep to plant them. Right. It depends upon what you know what variety they are. Some of them are relatively small. Other ones get huge. So you can kind of look and kind of hold them where the you'll know where the stem is versus the root system. The root system will kind of just dangle down. So you want that. Basically, that that stem part, the top of where the root systems are, unless above the crown, let's put it that way. You want that about two or three inches below the surface, and it's got to okay. be in a very well drained soil. Uh, another thing, when can I plant uh, cannas? Uh, you can. I put mine out yesterday, let's say on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, that, that that pretty much does it. <laughs> Hey, Mike, I'd like to ask you an off-the-wall question about, you know, people with zoysia years ago, they used to burn the lawns. Right. Does that take, does it actually take care of the seed, the bad seed? No, well, it doesn't really take care of the bad seed. What it does is it's dethatching your lawn. So, in other words... That was how they used to dethatch, and then the cities and various areas said no more lawn burning. So then that's when the machinery came out. Uh, I can understand that. Uh, I sure do appreciate your show, Mike, and thank you for the information. Well, thank you. And let's see. Let's go now to Rob in St. Charles. Hi, Rob. Hey, thanks, Mike. Hey, first of all, congratulations on 25 years. Thanks for everything. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. And uh, I just had a quick question, kind of similar to that guys before, but I had about uh, I had about four pretty good sized pear trees, uh, and between the houses there and on the side there, and um, I lost a couple with all this, and you know my fault I didn't keep them pruned real good and stuff like that, so I ended up having to take them all out because I was worried about further storms and you know losing them and, and right. stuff like that. So now I have a just a plot of like because no, no grass really grew under there so it's like um a lot of um you know just dirt and i was wondering um other than sod which would probably work the best what could would does would zoysia work better in there or does anything work quicker or just like some perennial ryegrass to just get something to put in there to start any suggestions on that well perennial oh, ryegrass is a short life thing so it's going to be yeah. whoosh, hit it'll be there yeah. and then it'll be gone so, uh, okay. were the I mean, the root systems of the trees, how long ago were they taken out? Let's put it that way. Uh, they were taken out, uh, a, you know, a couple, well, it was during the first 
batch here. So like early, like about three months ago or so. Well, the root systems are still going to be viable. So anything that you plant there is going to have a difficult time getting established. I won't fool you. And even if the stumps were ground out and everything else, the root systems are there. They don't know they've been beheaded. So they're going to still keep uptaking nutrients and moisture. And that's where the problem is going to come from. So probably what I would do is maybe go ahead and just, you know, try some grass seed, get all the, you know, any kind of grindings or wood or anything out of there as much as you possibly can, and just throw seed out every, you know, now, throw some seed out in May, throw some more seed out in September, and just expect it to not work so good. Right. And if you, you know, I'm saying use seed as opposed to sod because the sod's not going to get established either. Yeah, and any of those zoysia plugs probably wouldn't get established either, or anything like that. Well, they, I don't even you know, they got They're going to be competing. You could try. You could try both, and then you know, yeah, make, that's not a bad idea. And yeah. that way, you can find out which one's going to work the best as far as getting established. Yeah, yeah, because I get a little bit of runoff between the two too, so that's another thing to worry about. But at least if I can get something to help with a little bit of the erosion, then right? Exactly. So, all right. Hey, well, thanks again for everything. Appreciate yep. it. All right. All right. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Yes, folks, we're headed to Glendale. Mark, how are you? Hello, Mark. Mark, are you there? I mm, guess Mark's gone. Okay, let's go to Barb in North County then. Hello, Barb. Barb, are you there? We hear your phone. We do not ha- we're having some trouble here. That's okay. That's going to be Rich in Hot Springs or House Springs. Rich. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, I got some yuccas that uh, are 30 years old, um, and they've kind of gotten unruly. How do I clean them up? And plus, <laughs> I dug some of them up because they were taken over, and... I dug them down, got to those roots, and dug the, oh, I thought the roots up, and now I got volunteers come up. How do I, how do I kill that? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, they got a huge root system that goes very, very deep. So to dig them up is going to be really problematic. I mean, you can do it, but you're just going to have to stay on them and on them and on them. And as they start sending up new shoots off where you've removed the plant material, just keep digging if you want to do that. Or you can get uh, you know, an herbicide and kill them off that way. Okay. So and like, what about cleaning up the older ones? Uh, there's, Have they flowered yet? No. No, so they haven't flowered. As far as cleaning them up, I don't know exactly. I mean, just cut off some of the blades that you don't necessarily like how they look. But that's about all. There is really no cleanup. They just kind of form them a giant big clump. Yeah. And then all the dead, and it kind of gets like a big old root wad at the bottom. Exactly. Okay. All yeah. right. Thank you, sir. Yeah, they're kind of a, a somewhat of a disaster. Now let's see if we can go to Mark in Glendale. Oh, let's go to Jack in Jeff? Kirkwood. Sorry. Jack, are you there? Jeff in Chesterfield, then. Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Yes. All right. Hey, uh, two questions. One, front of my house, we have hydrangeas. Used to bloom like crazy. Don't bloom at all anymore. 
One of the causes might be we lost some big trees that provided shade, but one side isn't affected by that at all. So is it just fertilizer? It could and be the fertilizer. Question, it could be just the age of the plant as also. So, I oh, mean, both really? those factors. They just get too old. Yeah. Oh, so they might be too old. Right. I didn't know they got that way. Well, I mean, oh. some of them, it just depends upon the individual circumstance, fertilizing and everything else, and just soil improvement by, let's say, augering holes, putting compost into the soil and those sort of things. And depending yep. upon the variety, if they're close to your house, they're going to, you know, the soil is going to be alkaline. So maybe the soil is too alkaline for them. It needs to be acidic for the hydrangeas. So that may be a factor as far as flowering also. Yep. Okay. So we've been putting coffee grounds down through the winter, so maybe that'll help. Well, that helps very little, but uh, psychologically it helps. Actually, soil-wise, it doesn't really help that much. Oh, well, then we'll put some some more serious stuff down then. Right. Second question then was around ivy. side of my house, very shady. When I moved in seven years ago, there was all kinds of ivy in this bed on the side of the house instead of grass. All that ivy has now died off and just gone away. Is it because I changed the watering schedule? I'm, the, the trees have not changed. It's right next to a wood that's always been heavily shaded. No, it probably isn't that. It may be just the age. Ivy has a tendency, as it gets to be a certain age, like 15-plus years, the old stems will elongate with no foliage on them, and there'll just be, let's say, leaves at the very end of it. Interesting. Okay, so just try replanting then and see what happens. Exactly. Is it true that that stuff does better if you plant it kind of in bunches as opposed to kind of spreading them out and trying to get it to fill in? Well, and fill is just, sense. it's very painful. So, I mean, if you put them six inches apart, they should be able to fill in pretty quickly. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Great. What? I don't know what you're saying. Let's, uh, Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, that's going to about do it today because the Cardinals have a press conference, and Tom Ackerman's down in Florida. He's going to be talking to one of the great players, a first baseman. So, anyway, what could be better than that? Have a great day. Enjoy the first weekend of spring. Party on! Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.